In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about logistical accuracy, faking your death being a pickle, crushing piratical dreams, and what's the matter with these scissors? In our discussion of This Wicked Fate by Kaylin Bayron. Fun fact, I had what's the matter with these scissors on written down before we started recording. (laughs) What's the matter with these scissors? Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult and sometimes other books, series, authors, voice actors, and illustrators that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire, and today we're going to discuss This Wicked Fate by Kaylin Barron. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just love the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Right, well, you're going to lose your voice, so let's just dive straight into this. Give us some background information, and then we can just, you know, poof, like a slip and slide. Okay, I love it. Sounds great. So I found this background info on United by Pop, and they say most, if not every, character in This Wicked Fate is both black and queer, which was both incredibly powerful and refreshing to read. How does it feel knowing your books are amongst some of the first YA titles which allow black queer readers to see themselves in fully? And I chose this, I chose this question in response because it's one of my favorite things about YA books. So I'm just going to read her response. I'm incredibly honored to have my work in conversation with other books centering marginalized intersectional identities. It's transformative to be able to see yourself in the pages of a book, and I'm so happy that my work can offer another mirror or window for readers. We need as many stories as we can get our hands on. And that mirror and window thing is one of my favorite things about YA books. You can see yourself in a book. Or you see what it's like for other people. And everyone needs to read them. Yes. We should not stop anybody from being able to access these books. Because there's this little thing called free will. (gasps) What? Where if you don't want to read something, you don't have to read it. But somebody else may want to read it. It's shocking. It's, It's not new either. It's been around for like ever really yeah yeah and and i think i think more people should try it i stop these garbage people because it takes more effort to be an asshole than it does to be nice yeah it really does it really really does and you get less wrinkles if you're nice But I think that is a well-known fact that we are massive proponents of let people read what they want to read yes. and that everybody should be represented yes. in the Yes, 1,000% everyone should be represented. Mm-hmm. Our soapbox is getting very, very big on this. It really, really is. But it's des- it's like bejazzled and des- looks lovely. Yes. Sparkles, fairy lights, everything. Yes, all of those things. It's a very fancy soapbox. But in one corner, there's like some ooze coming out because, you know, there's obviously some monstrous creatures underneath there because they need to be represented too. Yes, and then if people do not allow us to read whatever we want to read, then we will unleash the monster that is within. 
the yes. soap box. And it won't be pretty, and it won't smell nice like soap. No, it'll smell like the monster monstermologist, which I can oh, still. It will smell like three, the boot. Four years later, mm-hmm. still smell. Mm-hmm. God, that boot's disgusting. Oh. What of the foot boot? Ah, oh, foot boot. Anyway, what are your initial thoughts about this book? Uh, Not about the foot boot. <laughs> Not about the foot boot. You know, this has got plants and plants apparently smell nice. Um, yay! I've been looking forward to reading this since it came out. Um, it's one of those ones that has constantly been going. We've been looking for the right time to cover it. Yeah. And having book club theme flower face is perfect. Perfect. It's a perfect time to read it. Yeah, I exactly. And it's a duology, and I love wrapping up, wrapping up a duology. We first covered, we did the first one. It was like my my birthday, I think, and super fan Constance joined in. Yeah, that was, but it wasn't last year. It was the year before. It was a long time ago. Wow, wow. it's taken wow. us a while. So I feel like. I think I need to warn everyone that this book picks up right at the end of This Poison Heart. So, lucky for you, we've already recorded that episode a long time ago, so you need to go back and listen to that one. Or, you know, read the book, too, also a thing. But go back and check on that one before you dive into this one, because you might have forgotten some stuff. I remember how bloody good it was. Yeah. All right. Well, Brie, Mo, Marie, Nix, Persephone, Dr. Grant, and a new stranger are all together trying to figure out what is going on. The new stranger is Cersei, Brie's aunt and owner of the house and the garden that Brie recently inherited. It was all a ruse by Melissa Redmond, a.k.a. Carter's mom, a.k.a. Katrina Valak, who was recently eaten by the goddess Hecate's giant dog to find someone who would be capable of reuniting the absurdist heart. Brie tells Cersei that Hecate took her mom and vowed that if Brie could gather the six pieces of the absurdist heart, she would bring her mom back to life. They realize they have five pieces in various forms. Marie and Persephone with their immortality from the living elixir, two pieces that they have in cages, and another vial of living elixir. So they just have one more to go. Before Mo can do anything, she needs to sleep. So Cersei brews up some very, very, very weak belladonna tea to help her rest. Now, if you remember last week's episode, this is a dangerous game we're playing. Drinking belladonna. I mean, you might see death, and uh, that wouldn't be bad. Oh, that wouldn't <sighs> be bad at all. Okay. Wait, hold on. Back, back, back to this back one. Back room. to this one. Yes. Um, so, the tea won't work on Brie, of course, since she's practically immune to poisons thanks to her gift, but Cersei tells her she's not completely immune since she can feel some effects of some poisons. Marie goes with Brie to rest and prepare for what they'll have to do next. If the effect of drinking the belladonna is not that you die, but you get to see death, and that, you know, hot shadowy stud muffin. Uh-huh. Chug, chug, chug. Chug, chug, <laughs> chug, chug, chug. <laughs> I would be well hydrated. Yes. Same Z's. 
Anywho, that's not this book. Not this book. Not this book. Different book. Different book. Bree wakes alone the next afternoon. Mo is still asleep, so Bree leaves her to rest. She finds Persephone rearranging furniture so they can have a workstation. Persephone gives Bree a piece of the heart to lock away in the turret, and they talk about Jason and Medea and Hercules and the Poseidon's heart, so clearly this has been a thing for a very, very long time. Bree goes to find Cersei in the poison garden, and they talk about Selene. Bree's birth mother and Cersei's sister. They didn't want Bree to fall into the family troubles, which is why Selene put her up for adoption. They knew that eventually someone would come looking for the heart and its powers of immortality. They talk about the last piece, the mother piece, from which all others grow. That's the one they'll have to find. Cersei talks about another piece of the Absurdus, the resurrection stone, and makes it grow. Bree worries that Cersei doesn't want her involved since she was put up for adoption, but Cersei and Selene only wanted her to be safe. Back at the house, the group discussed the history of the pieces of the Absurdist heart back through the ages and how Jason's family has always wanted it. They decide that the only place the last piece could be hidden is Aea, but that's just a story. Surely that island doesn't actually exist. Obviously it does. <laughs> Bree asks, since she saw Hecate, if any other gods or goddesses might be around and offer to help, but Circe and Persephone don't think so. Mrs. Redmond mentioned something that seemed to refute that, so Circe decides it could be possible. They make plans to go see Alec, Marie's great-great-great-a-million-times nephew and history scholar, to ask him what he knows about the island, which 100% will have sirens that will lure them to their deaths. They also plan to call Moe's friend, Dr. Kent, who knows all about Medea, to see if she can help, too. Marie remembers having a piece of pottery at one time in her long life that might be a clue, but she lets someone have it to return it to its rightful owner like Indiana Jones, but they never gave it back. So they decide to pay this person a visit. At this point, I was like, did you give it to the British Museum? Because <laughs> they have a history of not giving shit they back. They do. They do. <laughs> In Albany, the group goes to see this person, a man called Philip. He describes a wild tale of mysterious people who came to purchase the artifact. He doesn't remember any of their encounters, so they must have drugged him or something. But he remembered waking up to a pile of cash on the table and the artifact and the mysterious buyers gone. He's acting really weird, which leads the group to discover that he has been making and selling forgeries of the artifact he's supposed to have been returning. They find the original piece of the pottery, video call Alec, and together they realise it marks a place in the Black Sea. So it looks like they're taking a trip. Is it possible that the mysterious buyers are on the same hunt that they are? Was one of them Carter? No! <gasps> Ooh... They go back to the house and argue about who is going to the island to find the mother absurdist heart and bring Tandy back. Mo insists that she will go and Bree will stay behind. Cersei tells Mo she can't go because being in such close proximity to the heart will likely kill her. As they argue, Mo takes a step outside for a breather but returns immediately and passes out. Cersei and Bree are wrapped in protective vines, but then Nyx and Marie come in, talking about a very massive pet of Nyx's who has just arrived. On wings. It's a griffin, and his name is Roscoe. 
Back inside the house, Cersei plans to meet Dr. Kent, Moe's museum friend, who she doesn't believe is innocently involved in the entire situation. How is it possible that someone who knows so much about Medea is friends with Bree's moms? It can't be coincidence. But maybe it's fate. Ooh. Ooh. It's definitely fate. <laughs> or, or, or one of them, anyway. After arriving at Dr. Kent's museum and being shown a piece of jewellery that is definitely an ancient family heirloom, Marie gets mad and Indiana Jones again. <laughs> oh, I want to get Indiana Jones Me too. <laughs> but then Dr. Kent takes them on a long elevator ride into what feels like the depths of the earth and reveals that Cersei is correct and she is Clotho. She pulls her sisters, Atropos and Lachesis, from a sewer-like pool and tells them about the threads of fate she has woven for the children of Hecate. Now, and how she's surprised that the descendants of Medea and Jason have survived as long as they have. There are some vague threats and scissor-snapping sounds, but it seems that the fates cannot cut the threads of life just left. Please insert a manager's impersonation. What's the matter with these scissors? <laughs> the whole time. I just constant Disney. Oh. Back at the house, Cersei begins gathering supplies while Mo freaks out over everything that's happening, but ultimately decides to just go with it. Cersei shows Brie a really cool apothecary on the go kit she has full of hundreds of vials of any sort of plant she might need. She pulls a tiny flake out of one of the vials and asks Bree to make it grow. After a moment, she's able to, and Cersei knew she'd be able to do it. She promises to teach Bree everything she needs or wants to know because she knows what it's like to grow up with this sort of power and the pressures of keeping it concealed. Bree isn't sure she can fully trust Cersei just yet because Carter and his mom were really nice and protective of her, and they betrayed her. But Cersei understands that too. Cersei wants to convince Mo to let Bree go with her to the island because she deserves to be there to bring her mom back to life. As Bree gazes out the window, thinking about everything that's happened, she hears Persephone and Marie arguing. Persephone wants Marie to be truthful with Bree because she knows they have feelings for each other, but she also knows that they're all gonna die. Womp womp. That is not at all what you want to overhear. Bree asks Marie what is going on and she says they're definitely not going to die and that Persephone is just a pessimist. <laughs> She's just a glass half uh, empty kind of girl. <laughs> she is. <laughs> Later, Cersei decides that they need to talk to Lou and the Undertaker from book one because it's odd that Mrs. Redmond knew so much about Bree and the rest of the family. Lou tells him that she offered him immortality with his absurdus heart for any information he could provide and that she is on her way to a lighthouse. Cersei knows what lighthouse this is, the Great Eye, the same one that Zeus created to see everything from. Cersei asks Marie if she's made travel plans for them because they really need to get on their way to finding the island, Aia, but she admits it's going to take her at least two weeks to get everything in order. It's not like they all have like real active passports since most of them are supposed to be dead or way way older than they appear 
Marie says it would take her at least six months to get a trip like this planned, so two weeks is going to have to do. I'm sorry, but have you ever heard of a package holiday? You go down the travel agents, you point at the board and say, I'll have that one, please, and you're off. You're off. Package holiday. That's really nice. We should do that. (laughs) (laughs) While they're making plans and preparations, Bree gets a phone call from Carter, so she excuses herself. She does not want to talk to him. He was supposed to be her friend, yet he betrayed her. But he tells her that he and his family are going to get the last piece of the heart, and when they do... Bree and her family need to hide because his family hates hers. After the call, he sends a text with the name of a town off the Black Sea, Abana. When she returns, Isaac and Lucille, that Bree helped in book one, plus Dr. Grant, have arrived. Isaac shows everyone a concoction that Bree helped him make from Wolfsbane that makes him become invisible. It's really cool, but it also makes Bree wonder. Is that why no one has found the island that they're looking for? Has someone made it invisible too? It's possible, after all. You know, the original Cersei and Medea did live there. That night is a new moon and not much time remains for uh, Thandy to be resurrected. Persephone asks Bree if she can have use of the poison garden that night, and Cersei tells Bree that that's the night that people typically make sacrifices to Hecate. Bree decides she wants to make an offering of her own, so she sneaks out to the garden to gather some black flowers, but while she's there, she hears Persephone talking. Cersei sneaks up too, then confronts Persephone. They overheard her saying, let it be me, which worries Cersei. Does Persephone think they will be successful in the quest and offering herself as a sacrifice? Well, she... Well, we already know yeah. she's being a glass half empty person. Yes, so... the glass is half full of dead people. Yes. So... A week passes and it's finally time to go. Bree has to trick Mo because she doesn't want Bree to get hurt on this quest, but obviously she has to be a part of it. Cersei tells her that Nyx will arrive to pick her up at midnight. Bree sneaks away from a snoring Mo outside as midnight arrives. Instead of seeing a vehicle, Nyx arrives on Roscoe, who screeches into the night, obviously waking Mo. Vines grow around the house, keeping her inside as Bree jumps atop the griffin and soars into the night. I think I, think I would have picked a different mode of transportation. Because well, no, I, I think Roscoe is a perfectly acceptable mode of transportation, but maybe you know give Roscoe a treat. Yeah. So they don't screech your <laughs> mum awake. <laughs> you know, just a little bit of forethought. Bree and Nyx land at the airport and are greeted by Marie, Cersei, and Persephone. Nyx is staying behind with more, but the rest are soon off on a long private flight to find the island of Aya. On the way, Marie talks about how she became immortal when a close friend of hers with the same plant powers as the others gave her an elixir as she was dying from a long illness. The elixir was made from the absurdus heart and she was able to hop right out of bed stronger than ever, though she feels like a monster because of it. Marie assures her that she's not. And they kiss. (sighs) When they arrive, they ask around about a lighthouse, even though... They can see with their eyes that there is not one. 
And a townswoman tells them, one of the few towns over, there is one, and it's a tourist trap because you can't actually visit it. She also mentions that there was another small group of people who recently arrived asking about it. Well, that's obviously the Great Eye and where they need to go. At the island, they meet a grizzled old man who tries to turn them away, but when they insist on staying, he is revealed to be Hermes. Of course. He let Carter look through the great eye and lets Bree look through it too. Carter wanted to see if he and Bree would have any sort of relationship after this journey ends, but the great eye cannot see the future. Bree sees her mother, and with only five days left before the end of Hecate's bargain, she hopes she'll be able to see her again soon. Hermes decides to let them use a boat to get to Aia, which he did not offer to Carter and his mother, and offers a place for them to rest. He asks Hecate about keeping Thandi hidden from Hades and suggests that they don't want to have to deal with him. Bree only thinks of the animated version of Hades. Same. But if Hermes and Hecate are around and real, he must be too. As everyone gets ready to sleep, Bree and Hermes talk about the outcome of their quest. Hermes thinks there's no way any of them will survive, but Bree has to believe they will. Back with Cersei later, she gives Bree some paperwork and a plan to get back home without them. It seems she doesn't think they'll survive either, but she's willing to try regardless. All these defeatist attitudes yes, on a Yes, so many bodies in half-full glasses. The glasses are all cracked now as well. Yes. The next day, they get up and set sail for the island, Marie insisting that she is a pirate and that they should all say matey. <laughs> I hard agree. <laughs> Persephone hints that she's actually been a pirate before and that no one actually says that. <gasps> How dare you? How dare you crush those dreams? I'm devastated. (sighs) They put on noise-canceling headphones, their version of tying themselves to the mast, to stop themselves from plunging into the mermaidy depths below, because Alec was right, there are definitely sirens in the water. Soon, though, there's one on the deck. Marie tries to fight it, but her headphones come off, and she follows the siren down into the depths. Oh. Oh. Brie can't have a girlfriend leaving her for a fish. (laughs) So she jumps in after Marie. Vines they had on board to help keep the sirens at bay push Brie quickly through the water and cut any sirens that come too close. Luckily, with the help of the vine, Bree is able to reach and rescue Marie, and the vines pull them back into their ship. When they get there, they realise they can hear something else, and that the sirens have gone away. Oh, what scares oh, a siren? Oh, God, oh, no. They look up and see an island that wasn't there moments ago. Persephone takes the dinghy and rows ashore. She comes back after talking to a figure they can see on the beach. To gather the others, and, t- and together, they all go to Aia where they are greeted by the real Persephone, who is playing Orpheus's lyre from ancient myth. Oh. Real Persephone tells them that another group came ashore on the other side of the island, but something destroyed their ship, and only four people made it to Aia. One of them, a young man, but they could all be dead by now, as far as she knows. 
Brie kind of hopes that Carter is still alive because she wants to know why he hurt her. Real Persephone tells them to rest and that she'll play the sirens away again in the morning when they leave. Brie uses Cersei's apothecary supplies to grow an avocado tree and they eat and rest. I'll be good. Avocados. Ugh. Ugh. They're awoken the next day by giant boars who have come to sniff them. <laughs> it seems that maybe real Cersei maybe forgot to turn some of those men she met back in the day back into men. Mm. They probably deserved it. Probably. Everyone is able to get away without being gored, so they decide to begin their search for the heart that must be somewhere on the island. They weave in and out of trees, clearly lost, but then they come upon a house and venture inside. They are immediately attacked by someone who has the power to make them sleep instantly. Damn it. (laughs) Bree wakes up without the rest of her group. Three others, Viv, Dre, and Calvin presumably from Carter's group, are in the room with Bree. Bree tries to escape, but Viv keeps knocking her out with her sleep ability. When they're finally able to talk, Viv, Dre, and Calvin tell her that Katrina, or as Bree knows her, Mrs. Redmond, is dead because of her, and that she was their sister. When Bree asks about Carter, they assume he's probably dead too, and Bree doesn't know how to feel about that, though he did let her mother get poisoned and die. So she doesn't feel too bad. <laughs> Bree had the invisibility elixir and the elixir of life in her pocket, but Viv has them now and knows which one will give her immortality. She asks Bree which is which, and Brie tricks her into drinking the invisibility elixir instead of the immortality one, and she starts vanishing and retching. You're not supposed to drink the vial to become invisible, so it's possible that she'll die from it since it's made from wolfsbane. Fingers crossed! <laughs> Viv, Dre, and Calvin take Bree out of the house so she can help them acquire the last piece of the absurdus heart. And Bree willingly goes along, though zip tied, because today is the last day she can save her mom. They tramp through the trees toward a huge wall in the center of the island, but Viv and Calvin aren't doing so well. Calvin must have been poisoned by something on the island since pretty much everything there is poisonous. And Viv's invisible wolf spear is really <laughs> Soon enough, Marie, Cersei and Persephone appear and take out Viv. Then Carter shows up and frees Bree from her restraints. Before they could kill Viv, she managed to put Cersei into a deep sleep, which now, unless they figure something out, she'll never wake up from. Bree spots some clover and tries something she's never done before. She takes the knife out of it, reducing it to a pile of nitrogen-rich ammonia and uses it as smelling salt to wake Cersei. With her group together again, Brie realises that Calvin has died from his poison and that Carter set her free. Dre is pretty terrible and yells at Carter for being weak, but Carter wants nothing to do with his family anymore. They've killed so many people to get where they are to try to achieve immortality. He doesn't want that. He just wanted his mom to be proud of him, which Dre reveals that she was not. Damn. <laughs> what a bunch of assholes. 
<laughs> They're so terrible. Kicking somebody while they're down. His mom's freaking dead. Jesus. Persephone breaks his neck. <laughs> gets better. And tosses him into the undergrowth as Bree binds Carter with vines. Wow. Bree, Persephone, Circe, and Marie continue into the walled center of the island where they find Medea's resting place and the mother Absurdus Heart. Bree pulls the living elixir from her pocket that she took back from Viv and wonders about putting the pieces of the heart back together. While she's doing that, Cersei begins to cry, and then Marie comes over to tell Bree how amazing she is and that she's happy she spent some of her immortal life with her. Bree doesn't understand, but when she sees Persephone and Cersei hugging and crying, she realizes. To put the absurdist heart back together, Marie and Persephone have to return their parts of it that they took. They have to give up their lives. They cut their palms and begin to bleed. The absurdist heart begins to beat and vines twist out from it, pulling the blood from Persephone and Marie. With all the pieces reunited, a body, large like a god's, begins to emerge from the soil. It is Absurdus, rescued and resurrected. He asks where he is and where his sister is, and they manage to gesture to Medea's grave. He understands that she's been dead for a long time, but now here he is, alive again. Not long after, a large hound appears, followed by Hecate. She revives Marie, but when Circe asks her to revive Persephone too, the goddess tells her that Persephone made her sacrifice knowing what it would mean. Brie remembers when she encountered her in the poison garden talking to Hecate. The goddess tells him that with Persephone's sacrifice, Marie was able to be restored. She also tells him that with the Absurdus' return, he's now able to go peacefully into the underworld, which means someone else can come back from there. Thandy. Bree rushes to her mom. Cersei helps the revived Marie and Bree walk with her mom out of Medea's resting place, leaving a wreath of black flowers on her grave before they go. They unwrap Carter from his vines, and while... The mortal and less powerful Marie still wants to kill him, and Tandy wants to give him a beating. They decide they're going to take him to Hermes. Carter has no one left and could use some guidance and or punishment from a god, and they figure that Hermes wouldn't mind having a project to work on. (laughs) They didn't even ask him. They're just like, hey, here's this kid. Here you go. Yeah, but it's like it's like in Clueless where Cher just turns and goes, <gasps> Project! <laughs> and that cannot be denied. No, that's exactly what happened. As they reach the shore, they see real Persephone and their Persephone together. Their Persephone playing the lyre to keep them safe from the sirens. They drop Carter off with Hermes, then head home. Tandy and Moe embrace, then drag Bree into the hug too, and she pulls Cersei in as well. Their family is finally reunited. Six months later, the apothecary is so successful that Tandy and Moe are able to hire extra help for their flower shop in Brooklyn and build another in Rhinebeck near the apothecary. The moms are happily reunited. Cersei and Dr. Grant have set up a date for that evening, and Bree and Marie can be fragile and mortal together, happily in love. But still, what's the matter with these scissors? What's the matter with these scissors? Just... <laughs> and then Hercules rises up, glowing gold. So and then all the muses come out and start singing Zero Hero. Yes. 
Bless my soul, Herc was on a roll. <laughs> Freaking love that movie. <laughs> Me too. I want to go I think our discussion it. may just be us singing the tunes. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pain and panic reporting for Judy. <laughs> okay, everyone take a break. If you need to pause long enough to go watch Animated Hercules, we are okay with that. But make sure you come yes. back. Yes. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Barbara. And I'm Lauren. We are the hosts of Badass Literature Society, a book review podcast where we take book recommendations from listeners like you, read them, and then discuss them on our show. Join us once a month as we dive into the books you picked and talk about them. And don't miss our bonus episodes covering all sorts of random bookish topics that come out in between reviews. Don't worry, if you want to read one of the books, the first part of each episode is designated spoiler-free, so you can listen and see if you'd like to read it, and then come back and listen to the rest later. You can find Badass Literature Society on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else you like to listen. Now, back to the show. (laughs) Okay. I don't... I don't know how I feel about this book. Because... Seems... I'm skipping ahead to my surprise right now. I was not expecting it to be so mythological. Yes, thank you. I feel exactly the same way. It was weird. Yeah, and not... Totally, completely different to the first one. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy it. Like, I liked them going on a quest and meeting Hermes and the real Persephone is there and, you know, all of this stuff happening. But I was expecting it to be, you know, Brie poisoning people and or helping people with poisons and working at this apothecary and stuff like that. I was not expecting it to take this turn. And I think if I had been in a different headspace, if I had known that that was going to happen, I probably would have liked it better. But I was just so, it was so different. It was like a completely different story, like you said. And I just, I don't know how I feel about that. I 100% agree. Like 100%. As I was listening to it, and then all of a sudden... I say all of a sudden it took them freaking forever to get there but they're in Greece and I was like okay and then as soon as they were in Greece it was a different it felt like a different book yeah and I was if I'm honest a little put off by it I had to actually because obviously listen to the audiobook I had to go back about a chapter and re-listen to a chapter just to perfectly understand the transition yeah it was it was it was hard it was it was it was like jarring yes but even even so knowing that they're going on this quest which is fine go on a quest i think it's it's expected in this book that there is going to be a quest yeah but it was it it almost felt like the writing changed a little bit as well and the characters kind of felt different. I don't know, it just it felt like two books in the same cover and Yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't gel with it. And again, I think you're right. I think 
headspace wise and possibly wasn't in the most engaged I, place for it. I wasn't prepared to read a, a mythology book. I was prepared no. to read a flower face book. Yeah, I was prepared for witches and herbs and flowers and poisons and a garden. Yeah. Not sea bitches, Disney references, which I loved. Yeah. Um, and lots of mythological characters. To the point that sometimes it felt like there was too many people in play at once. Yes. And it was getting a bit confusing. Yeah, I'm glad they... I'm glad they left Mo at home with Nix because if they had also been involved, I would have had trouble keeping up where everyone is and what everyone is doing. So at least yes. they left them at home. But then we added in Carter's family, which, you know, we, we've never met them before. No. But, you know, they were only in for a few minutes and then they all died, which was fine because they deserved it because they were terrible. But... um. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't expecting the Greekiness of it. But I did love, and it's probably my favorite part, um, was all of the Disney references. And like you cannot tell me that Marie was not trying to be Indiana Jones. Oh, completely, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. I just, so, yeah, I just I wanted her to say, it belongs in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't. I think that's, that was one of the good things. And you know, Kaylin Barron really does pop culture references She really does, well. yes. She's, she has her obvious moments, like the slap in the face pop culture references. Yes. But then she's also very subtle with them. Yeah. And it's the subtle ones that I really appreciate because yeah. it, it means that, you know... She knows you. She knows you know that you know that she yes. knows that. Yeah. I just. I wish that there had been some opportunity for Marie to say, "Why did it have to be snakes?" and just quietly turn her into Indiana Jones in the background. Yes, I. I, I was hoping there was going to be a moment where she basically like breaks the fourth wall and turns to the reader and puts on Indy's hat. Yes, and like cracks a whip. And then cracks away, mm-hmm. and then da, 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 mm-hmm. da, da, da. yes, that should have yeah. that should have been. Oh God, that's what should have happened at the end. Um, it should have been, you know, Bree and Marie are embracing because they get to be together and they get to be mortal and it's precious. But she takes off her fedora and puts it over the camera as they kiss, and then that's the end. Yes. It fades to black. Yes, and then the yes. Indiana Jones music starts. Yes, and distinct. And or a song from Hercules plays. Whilst, no, this that happens. The, 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 you know, the fedora's got to go over the camera uh-huh. so we can have a moment. Yeah. And then the surge of the Indiana Jones theme kicks in as the muses from Disney's Hercules animated movie yes. pop up and then start singing. Yes. I would have been 100% okay those with that. Those muses belt out a tune and they are amazing. Yes. I love them. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. There were so many Disney references. And it wasn't just Hercules. I feel like there were some other ones thrown in as well, but now I've gone blank because I'm just thinking about Indiana Jones. Yes, you're right. You're right. There it is. That's what I forgot. Yes. Yeah. It was Little Mermaidy. And 
Hercules-y, which I love both of those, so it's fine. Yes. I haven't actually seen the live-action Little Mermaid. I have a love-hate relationship with the live-action of the animated. Like, I adore the animated, especially, like, the golden era of Disney animation. Yes. So, basically, from The Little Mermaid, you know, including Hercules. Emperor's New Groove is not given it enough cre- uh, credit. It's the best one. I love one. those ones. I love those ones. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I haven't found a live-action adaptation that I've really liked. I liked Beauty and the Beast. I liked it, but I think the the thing is the Beauty, Beauty and the Beast had the um fortune of being the first one. Did it though? Because they did some live action Cinderella's before that. And when did Mulan come out? Because I also really liked Mulan because it was completely different from the movie. No, Mulan was brilliant, but that's because Mulan was completely different. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look up live I, I can't actually remember the live action Cinderella. There there's been several of them. 2015? Oh, yeah, that was 2015. I'm going to have to check Beating the Beast. Uh, 2017. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't really rate the live action Cinderella. Can you tell? Because I can really I don't it. even know that I watched it, but I know that it exists. Anyway, that's not what we're Mulan talking about. Mulan was 2020. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about, though. We're talking... No, no. We're talking about this wicked fate. We're talking about this wicked fate. What's the matter with these scissors? Can't, can't cut that thread, fates. Except for they could, and they did. They did. They did. Do you know, I was absolutely devastated when my piratical dreams were being crushed. Because they did, they didn't say matey. I know Marie really. What Marie really wanted to be, she really wanted to live that pirate life. And you know Marie is allowed to live that pirate life. Yeah, but Persephone was like, life. Nah, dog. Pirates didn't say matey. Next thing you know, they'll be still be saying they don't sing your whole. Uh, they don't drink rum. Uh, they don't wear stripes and tattered uh, pants devastating uh, they don't have I mean, parrots I know they didn't have Jolly Rogers because each pirate had their own flag and you know and respect that sure yeah but come on yeah stop destroying a girl's piratical dreams yeah and I'm sorry how long does it take you for you to book a holiday to Greece it may be that Greece is only a four hour flight for me and it's like literally go down to the travel agents and book a package holiday or go on to any website that does package like flights and yeah. just book something but six months i think part six of six months i think Are you absolutely having a laugh i think part of the problem is that they don't have passports and they don't have ids and they don't have a way to realistically get a passport i'm pretty sure that's what it is because it's not like it's not like in Twilight and we can just go up to Jay Jenks and get him to fake a passport. 
Bravo for bringing it back to Twilight. Thank you. Again, proud of myself. Way. Proud of myself for that one. It's not like we it can do be, that in this world for whatever reason. So I really think that's the issue. Um. And also taking plant life from one place to another place. Can't really do that. So you got to find some shady guy. It depends on you're going to. I mean, if you go in Australia, fine. And just drop it off there and let it take over Australia and it'll be fine. But I think I think we were actually being logistical here in saying that it would take at least six months to get all this stuff. And so I appreciate that. But then, you know, they had to do it in two weeks anyway. I, I appreciate logistical accuracy. There has been a bugbear on many a book that we've yes. read. Hint, Twilight. You, Twilight. <laughs> Very specifically. Yes. But I still insist they could have just booked, like, you know, get an easy jet, package holiday to Greece. Not difficult. They're making a mountain out of molehill. And these are mystical, magical, godlike beings, and you're telling me they can't fake an ID. They're freaking immortals, but they don't have an ID. Nah, nah. I'm, yeah, I... I'm, I'm suspending my disbelief for a short period of time because... Yeah, it it's about, you know, poisons and witches and magic and gods and Greek mythology. Uh-huh. But you're telling me that these Greek gods don't have ID. Yeah, that is something that I don't believe, at least with Circe and Persephone. Although Circe was dead. So she has she has faked her own death, so that is also a pickle. <laughs> Faking your death is a pickle. <laughs> yes, faking your death is a pickle. Oh. So, but I will at least say I am surprised that Persephone doesn't have it together enough to have a proper ID. I don't know, though. I, I applaud Marie for getting it all done eventually. I think she was probably my favorite character. I'm pretty sure she was my favorite character from the first one. She's pretty badass. Yeah, I do like Marie. I like her quite a bit. Yeah, I do like Marie. I like Rosco. And considering I'm not a bird fan, but at least he's Griffin, so there's like that difference. There's yeah. Difference. Yeah. And I really like Rosco, and I was like, oh, I'm just gonna like have a bit of a screech and wake him up. Bye, you've been caught. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, something that I that I enjoyed from that scene, or from before that scene, actually. Um, it's earlier in that day, and it's not included in the summary because it's just like a tiny one-off thing, but I appreciated it, and it's hilarious and adorable. Uh, Nyx gives a gift to Brie, and it is like an old lady glasses chain because, you know, Brie, she, she wears glasses, yes. and she gives her this old lady glasses chain, and she's like, you're going to want to use that. And it's because she's going to be flying on Roscoe later and her glasses are going to fly off. And like when she lands and she puts her glasses back on and like her face is covered in snot and stuff, it's really, really gross. <laughs> I just I I enjoyed that bit. I think the glasses chair is actually on the cover as well. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's 100 yeah. percent on the cover. And I think that's precious, and I love it. I do, I do like that. It's, you know, it's for all the fact that we, you know, were opened with some, some criticism of the book. It is a really, it is a fun read, and I think knowing how it has that tonal shift, 
and how it feels so very different from beginning to ending but also known as the end of the duology i think i could quite happily read it again and i'll probably appreciate it a little bit more yeah um because it's going to be less jarring because there's all those lovely little bits and like all of the marie indiana jones moments all the disney references yes and even the broadway musical conversation yes, yes. and i lo- i really like the siren section and how they're calling them sea bitches i love that that you know I, I liked i did like the greek mythology references like to the men that got turned into boars and the sniffing them it's like oh no that's that's actually quite yeah. something about it so there's a lot i did enjoy about it but it is marred by both my headspace not being in the right place for it potentially and that weird shift in the book i think if you haven't read it and you are going to read it just know that it has that weird shift that you know might take you out for a second but because you're aware of it it's a lot easier to then go back in so i think this is definitely a book on the second read through i'm going to appreciate more if i had known that we were going to leave the apothecary and all of that stuff behind to finish this, you know, hero's quest, then I would have been okay with it. But I didn't know. And that's because we tend to not really look into things that we really, really want to read, you know, so we can go in spoiler-free since we spoil things for everyone. We don't like to be spoiled ourselves. So I think we have I, spoilers, not spoilies. Yes. So I think that's probably why. Potentially, yeah. Yes, but I do like it, and I really like Kaylin Barron's writing style. Like she's very oh, it's so accessible. Yeah, she's very talented, and and I do I do like it, but it's not what I thought it was going to be. No, no, she's a fantastic writer, and I do love the um, black and queer representation that she. Yeah has in the books yeah. because it's so important to read so many different perspectives yes and she is an accessible reader oh definitely she, uh, right it's just, just so good she's really really genuinely good yes um so yeah i think we recently read um she looks at her bookshelf because she can't remember the full title um you're not supposed to die tonight yes in october and that was really yeah, good and very similar so good in terms of the pop culture references mm-hmm. and the accessibility and the representation in there she's fantastic mm-hmm. you know and she she's got so many more other books out there she's got a a, a middle grade book called the vanquishers yes i want to read that about one. vampires as well i want to read that I did one. buy this the the, the 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 nice edition for my niece's birthday because i was like you need to have this because Kaelin Barron is great and this has got vampires and it's got sprayed edges. So there is nothing wrong with this book. <laughs> anyhow. Anyhow. But yeah, okay. Um, Shall we jump into Would You Rather? Yeah, we should. Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to Would You Rather. Yes, on social media, would you rather learn your history from Disney movies or Broadway musicals? I am not surprised by these results. 69% on Facebook are learning Disney uh, from Disney movies. On Instagram, it was 90% from Disney movies. And on TikTok, it's 70% from Disney movies. Excellent. Katrina on Facebook said, I enjoy both and they both have catchy songs, but I think Disney would be more digestible. 
Emily on Facebook says, I enjoy both too, but Broadway musicals would be able to show ancient Greek history more thoroughly than Disney can. Colin on Facebook said, I've learned a lot from Disney movies over the years, so I'll have to go with them. I mean, I know my Greek myths from Hercules, how to make responsible wishes from Aladdin, and how to question him if I'm a furry from Robin Hood. <laughs> Broadway musicals have taught me that most things can be worked out with enough spontaneous and coordinated song and dance routines. This is a valuable lesson, but I believe it's the only one that Broadway can teach, whereas Disney continue to educate with each movie. One thing I wish they'd made clear was who did put the glad in Gladiator. I believe that it was Hercules, but I wouldn't mind if, if it was confirmed by an independent source. I like to think that Colin has listened to this episode and paused in the appropriate place, watched Hercules, and then has come back, and now he knows who put the glad in Gladiator. Who put the glad in Gladiator? Hercules! <laughs> Claire on Facebook said, I love both. I think Disney is more entertaining, but also tends to be less accurate, I would think. But I still say Disney. Constance on Facebook said, even though the origin stories of most Disney movies are not accurate, I love how they are happy versions of the tale. Leave me in Lululand. Thank you very much. Coral on Facebook says, Disney all day. And Brie on Facebook said, I'm qualifying my answer with 2D animated Disney movie because darn it, I miss them and they were a great launching off point for learning about the real stories. Wah! Emoji. Okay, obviously I'm picking Disney movies. Obviously Disney movies. Massive Disney fan. Love, love, love. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to qualify it. No, there's no, there's no need. There's no. no need to qualify it. No. Next question. Would you rather be Indiana Jonesy or Herculesy? Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Do I want with yeah, the heroes either way, aren't they? They are. Who'd have thunk? I'm gonna say Indiana Jonesy because of the the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Um, the theme tune. There's just you know, the one strong. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for the cheeky looks to camera. Mm-hmm. For the whip. Yes. I always get the girl. I mean, Hercules gets Megara, which is fine. We, we do love a strong independent female, which Megara yeah. is. But, you yes. know, there's lots of strong independent females in Indiana Jones as well. Yes. Plus, you know, archaeology. As Indiana Jones, E, I can go and dig up the bones of Hercules E sure. and the artifacts of Hercules E and make sure they stay with the yeah. country that it should be with and not yeah. in the British Museum. Yeah. Return yeah. the stuff, British Museum! Don't be a coward! I don't think that's ever going to happen, Claire. It's probably not because jerks. Yeah. I... I am having a hard time choosing between these two because I love Indiana Jones, but I also love Hercules. Is it because you want to be a demigod and you don't want the fates to cut your string because they can't because you're yes, demigod? Yes, yes. They have problems with their scissors. Is it because you want to be hench? Is it because you want a pegasus? Is it not because I want a pegasus? Is it because you want Philoctetes to teach you his... 
wears. And I do not want to learn from Philoctetes. Um, I don't know what it is. Do you I want think... the muses to follow you around and sing your life? And sell my merchandise? Maybe that. Yes. Also... You, you, you want the drink and the cup. Yes. But also, I wouldn't mind being friends with Hades. I mean, Hercules is not friends with Hades. <laughs> I know. I know. Do we need to pause and rewatch the movie? There's a little bit of... No, I just there. want to... I just want to insert myself into the world of Hercules, not necessarily be Hercules. Oh, okay. But if you're Indiana Jones, you get to defeat the Nazis. Oh, that's true. I would love to punch Which a Nazi. Which is a massive There it is. Yep, yep, yep. You've won me over. You've won me over to the punching a Nazi. Republicans. I mean Nazis. It's the same. It's the same word. I don't, same. I don't know the, the difference same. between those words. Yep. Same. Okay, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Mint. That was me cracking a whip. That was good. I don't think Would that's the rather... sound that a whip makes, but... No, no. I once <laughs> had a bull whip for a costume, and I can't remember what the costume was at all, but I bought it from the costume shop, and I went to work, and this is when I worked at a call centre. It was back when I was, like, 18. And I went to the call centre. I worked on nights. I worked, like, 5 to 11, and we were sitting in the canteen having our break, and there was literally six of us in there because the canteen was closed at that time at night at like nine o'clock. And they're like, Claire, what have you got in your bag? And I was like, oh, it's a bullwhip. And they're like, why have you got a bullwhip? Please explain. I went, oh, I'm going to a costume party. I cannot remember why I had this bullwhip. And they were like, okay. So I got it out and I just cracked it, but I did a perfect crack uh, first time. And you know when you're just like, oh, mad skills, never been able to do it uh, since. But have that one memory of being able to crack a bullwhip correctly. Mm. Anywho, next question. <laughs> Would you rather be a mermaid or a siren? Even though I cannot sing to save my life, I would rather be a siren because they're evil. Yes, I want to be a sea bitch. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I always pick the bad guy. Plus the mermaid's the wrong way around. Right. Doesn't make any sense. Why would you have a person head and a fish tail? Doesn't make no. any sense. Oh, that... Co- correct your mistakes. That reminds me, I did really appreciate the scene where the siren comes on board the ship and she's like flopping around with her tail. That's just what I thought of. I thought, oh man, what if she had a fish head and a lion body? Yes. Like anglerfish head with all the sharp pointy teeth. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. And then she'd be running after you. Yeah. (coughs) Yeah. And she can run really fast because she has lion legs. And you wouldn't have to be too worried about it because her head is constantly pushed into the ground. Yeah. Like, pushed quickly enough. Still terrifying. Wow. Yeah, it's it's definitely frightening. (laughs) That t-shirt's back in the, in the in the red bubble shop, by the way. It people. is, yeah. You should go and buy that shirt. Would you rather turn your enemies into boars or lure them to their death with your voice? Oh, see, bitch, baby, I'm luring those. I'm luring the patriarchy to the death with my voice. Cause I don't want no boars sniffing me. That no, was bad. That was yeah, na- that was I don't. Nasty. I don't want to be sniffed. I don't want to be sniffed. No, it's gross. 
just a person coming up to me going <sighs> but no, it's not a person no. it's an animal I still don't care there still were a person there was still a person and they're going <sighs> no I want to lure them to their deaths yeah as is only right and proper Would you rather... I didn't even answer up? that question. Oh, You did, didn't you? I thought you did. No. You said you didn't want to be sniffed. I thought you... Oh, fine. Oh, that was it. You thought that that, that was my answer is that I didn't want to be sniffed? Yeah. But yes. I'm not what, sniffing what anybody. What death? <laughs> true. That is true. Okay, fine. You answered for me. Just move on. No, no, no. No, no, no. I will sit nicely. Tell me what you do. <laughs> You're not even listening. I have to alert you. I've removed my headphones. <laughs> I am listening. Look, look, look there. It's in. Volume is on. I think that I want to turn my enemies into boars just to spite you. Spite boars. Spite boars. Uh-huh. Then you can turn them into bacon sandwiches whilst wearing the spiteful bacon apron that is available. In the yes, I think all of this sounds like a great plan. Please visit Redbubble. Fictional Hangover. Fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favourite fictional hangover themed merchandise. Well, you can get your correct mermaid <laughs> and spiteful beer of merchandise. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag always be plugging. Moving on. Would you rather stay on the island with Persephone or stay in the lighthouse with Hermes? If I have the being immune to poison ability then I'm going to hang out on the island with Persephone but if I don't then I'm going to stay in the lighthouse with Hermes because the island is 100% made of poison you know the rules with would you rather you are the lord and master unless we have been very specific in the question do what the heck you can to make it work your way okay I'm going to stay on the island with Persephone then yeah I feel like a lighthouse is just like too small a place and, you know, people have seen that Robert Patterson Lighthouse movie and it's not pleasant. Yeah. So I need to be able to, if, at least on an island, when you get a bit sick of somebody, you can walk away. Yeah. In the lighthouse. You can. There's an up, there's a down. Yeah. And I don't want to go up. That's, it's too tall. I've been at the That's top of a lighthouse and I didn't like it because of, you know, the heights. Island all the way. Yeah. Okay. Favorite final thought quote? I'm going to give you three. Okay, sounds good. How is he going to answer our questions if he's dead? We're going to have a seance. What you say? <laughs> I might have made it sound more jovial than she did, but I was very excited. We sat down and a short woman in a black dress came over, handed us a menu and poured us each a small cup of espresso that made me feel like I could hear colours. <laughs> And at the time, I literally just made myself a coffee. I was at the office and at work, and I have, like, stinking black coffee when I'm in the office at work. And I was like, whoa, I'm going to see colours. I was very happy. And my last one is sirens, Cersei corrected. Not mermaids. Sea bitches, said the <laughs> You do love sea bitches. We you love do. sea bitches. You do. Okay. Oh, you can't. <laughs> I just need to accept that the weirdest shit is going to happen right in front of me and all y'all are going to be unsurprised by it. (laughs) I like it. (sighs) 
I get made into a monster, and I can't act monstrous every once in a while? That is is terrible. That is, you've been ripped off there. Yes. Okay, and finally, despite her precarious state of existence, she hadn't given up on being an asshole. Real life versus fiction, Amanda. Is this you or is this the book? Oh, so good. Okay, if you liked this, try this. What are you going to suggest? Um, I was very tempted to recommend another Caelan Baron book, like Cinderella's Dead is awesome. For sure. That. But instead, <laughs> I decided to have a look on the internet. And Epic Reads had a mythological books list Ooh, let's have a look on here, see if there's anything interesting. And there really was. And I was sold in the first three sentences. Okay. It's called Blood Scion uh, by Deborah Fallier. And this is the summary from uh, epicreads.com. This is what they deserve. If they wanted me to be a monster, I would be the worst monster they ever created. If that doesn't sell you, let me continue. 15-year-old Sloan can incinerate an enemy at will. She's a scion, a descendant of the ancient Orisha gods. Under Lucius' brutal rule, her identity means her death if her powers are discovered. But when she is forcibly conscripted into Lucius' army on her 15th birthday, Sloan sees a new opportunity to overcome the bloody challenges of Lucius' training and destroy them from within. Ooh. How mm-hmm. epic does that yes. sound? She can incinerate an enemy at will. Sold. Yes. So it sounds absolutely fantastic. In the cover, take a look at it. It's Blood Scion, Deborah Fillet. Check out the newsletter that comes out at the end of the month. It'll have the details on there. Check out the cover. It is amazing. What have you got? I am going to suggest A Song Below Water by Bethany C. Morrow. You should look at the cover of that one, too. I am on it. I'm on it right now. Okay. Tavia is already at odds with the world, forced to keep her siren identity under wraps in a society that wants to keep her kind under lock and key. Never mind, she's also stuck in Portland, Oregon, a city with only a handful of black folk and even fewer of those with magical powers. At least she has her bestie, Effie, by her side as they tackle high school drama, family secrets, and unrequited crushes. But everything changes in the aftermath of a siren murder trial that rocks the nation. The girl's favorite internet fashion icon reveals she's also a siren, and the news rips through their community. Tensions escalate when Effie starts being haunted by demons from her past, and Tavia accidentally lets out her magical voice during a police stop. No secret seems safe anymore. Soon, Portland won't be either. <gasps> Sirens! Oh. Oh. oh, that sounds good. Do we have any new into the spotlights? Yes, we do. It's called The Poisons We Drink by Bethany Baptiste, and it comes out on March 5th. So you've still got a little while to pre-order this one. In a country divided between humans and witchers, 
Venus Stoneheart hustles as a brewer making illegal love potions to support her family. Love potions is a dangerous business. Brewing has painful, debilitating side effects, and getting caught means death or a prison sentence. But what Venus is most afraid of is the dark, sentient magic within her. When an enemy's iron bullet kills her mother, Venus's life implodes. Keeping her reckless little sister Janice safe is now her responsibility. When the powerful Grand Witcher, the ruthless head of her coven, offers Venus the chance to punish her mother's killer, she has to pay a steep price for revenge. The cost? Brew poisonous potions to enslave DC's most influential politicians. As Venus crawls deeper into the corrupt underbelly of her city, the line between magic and power blurs, and it's hard to tell who to trust, herself included. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Sounds pretty Sounds fun. Sounds really good. Yeah. Oh, crushing it this week with the recommendations. And the I know. Spotlights. I know. Crushing Just like it. last week. Last week was awesome. This week was awesome. People need to listen to us. We know I know. I know. Anywho. That's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher, featuring superfan Bree. Look out for our Would You Rather polls and monthly challenges on social media. Don't forget about our book club on Discord. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram, threads, TikTok and YouTube at fictionalhangover. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.